Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the Coaches Don't Play podcast. I'm your host, Blake Zettler, joined by my partner in crime and co-host, David Cherub. How are you doing today, David? Good. How about yourself? I am doing great after this crazy week of football that we had. You know, college football, NFL, you know, you never really know what's going to happen going into a certain week, but we had some great games to talk about this week. Uh, the starter, if the one that was on the tip of everybody's tongue, no Trevor Lawrence, no problem for Clemson as they beat Boston College 34 to 28. How did you feel about the game and did you think that DJ played well? Um I think DJ played very well. Um very surprising for his first at you know first start. Um I know it was against Boston College, but you know he's a you know true freshman, first start ever and you know college, you know that's still a big deal for anyone you never know how anyone's going to play. He went 30 for 41 for 340 yards and two touchdowns you know those are basically Heisman numbers if you ask me if you can replicate that I know Trevor was putting up those numbers when he was playing Uh, I think DJ has a bright future Um, I think though the game against Notre Dame this coming up week will be a little different because Notre Dame does have a better defense than Boston College but we will have to see you know Saturday what happens and what you know Notre Dame tries to show him yeah, talking about that uh, Notre Dame game coming up, and that's basically, well, where this conversation was going. Uh, everybody knows that Boston College was the trial game. You know, everybody knew that the main problem with Trevor Lawrence being out was that they had to play number four Notre Dame in South Bend this week. And I'm just, I'm just here, I'm just wondering, do you think that DJ gives him a good enough chance to win, or do you think that Notre Dame and that run game and that solid defense is just going to be too much for Clemson without Trevor Lawrence and that steady hand? Um, well, with looking at everything, um, I think Travis Etienne is going to play a big part uh, in Clemson getting this win. You know, he had that fumble on the two-yard line against Boston College. It was, you know, a sloppy exchange between him and DJ. Um, so, you know, Etienne and DJ got to do better about that. Uh, Etienne didn't break over 100 yards, but they still did get the win, of course, against Boston College. But I think Etienne's going to have to carry more in this game, as I do think, you know, DJ's a good quarterback, but I think he's going to struggle a little bit more trying to, you know, pass. And I think that, you know, Notre Dame might show them, maybe bring a little extra heat or show them a little something different. As this, as in my opinion, Notre Dame has a more complex defense than, you know, Boston College, of course. Yeah, uh, I don't think anybody would argue with you on that point. That <laughs> I think Notre Dame's defense is bringing a little bit more to the table than Boston College. Now, Boston College, I'll give I'll give Boston College some credit. They played well. They hung in there. Their de- their defense was opportunistic when they had to be. Like you said, they you know punched the ball out of Etn's hands on the one yard line. It ends up being a pickup six, and it almost completely changes the complexity of that game at that moment. But the problem, the problem with Boston College was they just couldn't put together drives on that one they had to on defense. I mean, DJ, as you said, had some stellar numbers. I mean, every single time they'd get Clemson to third down, it was like DJ would just absolutely just find the perfect throw at the perfect time, and he just dot up the defense every single time they needed it. Uh, ETN, if you're a Clemson fan, ETN's performance was a little disappointing on the ground, but in the passing game, ETN was their best receiver. I mean, Phenomenal. I think. Yeah, I, I think he probably had his best game coming out of the backfield receiving that I've seen in a while or in recent memories. I don't know. Clemson fans might remember another game, but that's definitely the Clemson game that I watched when pretty much ETN proved to me that he was the best all-around back in the country last week, if I didn't already think so. But ETN put together put – together, if ETN puts together a performance through the air or on the, gr- on the ground like he did last week, it's going to be pretty hard to beat Clemson even if Notre Dame comes to play. Now, the thing about Notre Dame is is that Notre Dame, they have a game plan. I mean, don't get me wrong. They've had some sloppy wins. Like the win against Louisville, if you're a Notre Dame fan, Oof. you're not super opportunistic about – you're not super like optimistic about Notre Dame's chances in this upcoming game if the, if the Notre Dame team that, that played Louisville shows up. Now, if the Notre Dame team that played Pitt or – even um, Florida State shows up, South uh, Florida, or yeah, Florida State and South Florida. But it, but if either of those teams show up, 
that ran the ball well. Kyron Williams at offensive line. Chris Tyree. Ian Book did what he needed to do. Don't get me wrong. I'm not super high on Ian Book, but he did what he needed to do in those games. And as I think you've said in other conversations, it just also depends on what Ian Book shows up. Like if the Ian Book against the Louisville shows up, there there might be a bit of a problem. But if the it's Ian Book be a long night. Yeah, it's gonna be a long night for Notre Dame fans if Louisville Ian Book shows up. But it's just gonna be the key to the game is gonna be who can limit the turnovers, who can just hold the ball, time of time of possession. I can almost guarantee you, David, that the team with the higher time of possession will win the game. Uh, I mean, you could you could say that. Um, it just depends on you know how fast Clemson strikes on offense. You know they're really good at moving the ball and everything, and they can you know dial it up whenever they need it. Um, but going back to what you said about ETN about being the best all around back, uh, I think back to the college football playoff last year when uh, Clemson was playing Ohio State. Ohio State did very well against Clemson on defending the run, you know, boxing up ETN on the run. I I think I don't think I think he had like 50, 60 yards against Ohio State. But, you know, it's like what you said, he's a great all-around back and where, you know, he killed, you know, where he where he can kill good teams is that he's a good receiving back and like he killed Ohio State and how they won that game. You know, if ETN doesn't do well on the ground, he more than likely kills Notre Dame you know, catching the ball. But if he does well on the ground, he'll probably have an average game, you know, catching the ball. I just think, you know, Notre Dame and their defense, their biggest worry should be Travis Etienne. Um, I think he should be higher in the Heisman voting than ninth right now. I think he should be top four. Um, He's the best all-around back that I've seen, and I'm going to make a hot take since Christian McCaffrey. Um, He's very elusive out of the backfield, very good catching back. Um, and he's a very good runner, hard to take down, takes multiple guys to get him down. Um, so it will be an interesting game to watch, you know, which Ian Book shows up and everything. Going back to last week, Ian Book only threw for 199 yards, but that was enough for them to get the win with his one touchdown. I kind of see, and I I kind of see Ian Book as like, like Jake Fromm, how Jake Fromm was at Georgia. He was a game manager, basically. And they leaned heavily on their run game and their defense. As you know, Notre Dame last week had 230 yards on the ground and three of their touchdowns came on the ground. But how how long can you can you keep this up, especially against a very talented Clemson defense, you know? Well, yeah, that's that's really the question. I mean, is can Notre Dame run the ball as many times a game as they really want to. I mean, their offensive setup is run, run first, ask questions later, basically, is the offense. And Ian Book, he's at his best when he's outside the pocket, play action, ad-libbing, trying to make something happen. Uh, when they when they really struggle, it's when they ask Ian Book to throw them out of situations. Uh, that happened last year in some prominent games. For example, the Georgia game that they lost last year, they made it very competitive until the fourth quarter when they had to ask Ian Book to throw them out of the hole that they put themselves in on defense. And it just it didn't end up working out because Ian Book, uh, I'd say Ian Book is a serviceable quarterback. You made the point about Jake Fromm. He's very Jake Fromm-like, how he's more of a game manager. But if Notre Dame gets down early and they have to ask Ian Book to drop back, uh, two or three times uh, before they even run the ball once. It's just, I, I just don't think it's going to happen for them this week. Uh, so enough about that game. So all the long, all the Longhorn fans are wondering, David, after this week, after this week, the win over Oklahoma state is Texas back. Um, it's a little, a little too early to say that Texas is back. Um, Texas had a great win. Um, they showed uh, that you know they're a good team, a little a little sketchy on defense at times. Uh, their secondary is a little sketchy, I would say. Uh, a lot of missed tackles. Um, I wouldn't quite say they're back. Uh, they had a loss to TCU earlier in the season, and of course Oklahoma um, struggled a little bit against Baylor. Um, but they showed that they can they can put up the points on offense. Sam Ellinger, you know has shown that he can get Texas, you know, he can put Texas uh, on the board and he can put them on the board quick. Uh, they've been in some high-scoring games. They scored 63 against Texas Tech. 
So they got a really good offense, great leader in Sam Ellinger. You know, they scored 41 against Oklahoma State. Um, if Texas wants to be back, they're going to have to work on their secondary on defense. I think that's their biggest weakness. Um, they kind of get carved up. Uh, Spencer Rattler kind of had his way for, you know, in the you know fourth quarter and then overtime with, you know, the secondary and everything. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see um, as who does Texas play this week. As they play West Virginia, and you know West Virginia just came off of a good win um, against Kansas State. So both teams riding high, uh, both had very good wins. Uh, it will be a very interesting game. Like I said, though, West Virginia is a passing team, so it'll be interesting to see how Texas uh, morphs their secondary to deal with that passing attack of West Virginia and if they can slow it down. I think then Texas, you know, will play good. Uh, I see them making the the Big 12 championship. Um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see who the other team is, uh, but I see that Texas could really make the Big 12. Um, they need a little help from above, you know, from you know, Iowa to lose a game, Iowa State to lose a game, Kansas State to lose a game. Um, Oklahoma's already lost two, and they need Oklahoma State to lose a game. Another one. Uh, I think Oklahoma State will lose another game, and I don't. I don't see any of those other two teams winning out in their conference. But uh, still, a little too early to say that Texas is back. But it was a very good win for them. Yeah, another aspect about the Oklahoma State game is that uh, Oklahoma State they make no pre-reservations or anything like that they want to run the ball with chuba hubbard i mean that's basically what they came into the game trying to do uh texas did a great job uh stopping chuba hubbard 25 carries for 70 70 75 yards a 2.9 yard average that's just not going to get it done in college football as as everybody knows uh but yeah you talk about that secondary uh yeah texas texas really needs to shore up on this back end uh, even with a not the greatest performance by uh, Spencer Sanders of Oklahoma State, he still goes 27 of 39, 400 yards, uh, 10.3 average, four touchdowns, one interception, and they barely win uh, Texas. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting just to see what they do against West Virginia. West Virginia, as you said, not a running team. They're going to come out and sling, sling the ball around the yard, play some backyard football, as I like to say, and we're just going to see if Texas can really show up. Now, you made a great point. Uh, Iowa State, the Cyclones, uh, currently at the top of the Big 12, I believe. Is that correct? Are they currently at the top of the Big 12? Yeah, currently tied with uh, Kansas State. For four and one, and technically Oklahoma State, they all have one loss. So yeah, uh, the Cyclones uh, making a run at the run at the Big Twelve, David. Uh, you know, a team that I bet you I don't think any analyst really had going very far in the Big Twelve. Now, do you think that the Cyclones it's a fluke, and when they play some of these bigger teams, that they're going to get exposed here, or do you think they're a legitimate contender for the Big Twelve? Looking at Iowa State. Um, they had their first, their first game they lost, uh, very surprising that they lost, uh, to the Raging Cajuns. Um, but they fixed things up, uh, you know, pulled out one against TCU in the second week, then pulled out a shocker against Oklahoma in the third week. Um, one thing that does surprise me is that they lost to Oklahoma State, but they kept it very competitive and only lost by three. Um, I think Iowa State could make a run at it, um, but as you see on their schedule, they do have to go to Texas for their second-to-last game, and West Virginia is their last game. So, and they they also they still have to play Kansas State, so it'd be very interesting to see. Um, I don't see them losing to Baylor, you know, but it's 2020; anything can happen, as we have seen. Um, but they have shown that they're they're a good team. Um, they can you know win those scrappy games and dig deep and uh, pull one out. Um, but it would just be interesting to see their last three games against three very good opponents and see how they do. Yeah, and uh, Iowa State is very similar to Oklahoma State in the way that they – I mean, there's no bones about it. They just want to sit back. They want to run the ball, uh, control the clock. Uh, not a great passing team, Iowa State, which is kind of a little bit uh, uncharacteristic of a Big 12 team. Uh, uh, as, as you can see for Oklahoma state, but yeah, Texas, uh, the reason why I brought up Texas earlier was that Texas 
they do, in my opinion, look like the best team in the Big 12. Now, don't get me wrong. That was a tough loss to Oklahoma earlier in the year in overtime. But uh, Spencer Rattler, you know you know what he's about. You know what Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma is about. Uh, they won't be down for very long. I don't think Oklahoma is going to win the Big 12 this year because I think they're a little bit in over their head on defense. But Texas or Iowa State would probably be my pick early to win the Big 12, but I would not be surprised if Oklahoma made a late-season surge and maybe ran, made a run out as well. Um, I could see it. Uh, you know, Spencer Radler is a freshman. This is his first year. I kind of figured that, you know, Oklahoma would have a few hiccups on the way, as they have. Um, it would it would just be interesting to see. You know, they got through Texas, which was a good win, but they did lose to Kansas State and Iowa back-to-back weeks. Um, they still do have Oklahoma State to play. Um, once again, you know, it just depends on which Oklahoma State wants to show up. Um, Oklahoma State really hurt themselves against uh, – Texas by having three turnovers, three very, very costly turnovers. Um, I think, you know, if Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma, um, I think Oklahoma State makes it in to the Big 12 championship, um, possibly playing Texas or maybe one of the uh, other two teams that we've talked about. Um, there's still a chance for Oklahoma, but they, I think they need a little help from above from the other two teams. Same thing for Texas, but, you know, Texas still has, you know, Kansas State and all of them still on the schedule. But it will still, you know, well, you know, you'll have to sit and wait. Uh, but it'll be interesting to watch. I think it'll be an interesting uh, interesting uh, conference to watch just to see who who's going to make it into the championship. Yeah, all of these things are going to have to play out, you know. As you said, it's a it's been a wild 2020 so far. Anything can happen. I mean, we're in the middle of an election right now, and I mean, we don't even know what's going to happen with that. I mean, but just talking about just staying with football. Uh, so there's been a couple a couple teams that have been undefeated, and a lot of people have been rumbling about them making the playoffs. For example, uh, Cincinnati and BYU have been absolutely tearing up their opponents so far this season. So I was going to ask you, are Cincinnati or BYU contenders, or are they pretenders? when it comes to making the playoff. Okay, I'm probably about to make the most very uh, controversial take. Um, I think Cincinnati are, I think they are for real. Uh, they they play great. They play great on both sides of the ball. They play great on the offensive side. Um, Desmond Ritter has, you know, I think this is his second year. He's been playing great. Um, their defense is it's been playing really, really good. You know, they got Luke Fickle. He's the uh, ex-defensive coordinator at Ohio State. Uh, they've been playing really, really good defense. Um, so I think I think Cincinnati can make a run at it. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what the college football playoff has to say as, you know, group of fives never made it. And, you know, everyone thought Central Florida was going to make it, you know, that one year, and they didn't. Um, as for BYU, I think BYU is a great team. I'm not going to discredit them. Uh, Zach Wilson's playing great, uh, throws the ball amazingly. Um, but just looking at their opponents, they just they just don't have that wow factor. I mean, they played you know teams like Navy, um, Louisiana Tech, Texas State, Western Kentucky, the teams that just don't you know wow they beat them. If you know what I'm saying, um, they do play Boise State this week. I think that'll be a good matchup. Uh, Boise State's typically, you know, the front runner for the group of fives, but as we've seen, you know, that's currently Cincinnati and BYU. So, but we'll have to see. But I think I think if one team does have a shot, I do think it's Cincinnati. Yeah, that's really the question with all these teams: is is the strength of schedule good enough for the committee to really consider putting one of these teams in the playoff? Now, this is kind of the reason why a lot of people want to expand the playoff because a team like Cincinnati, I mean, Cincinnati might be the best team in the country. I mean, I don't think I don't think anybody thinks they are, but they might very well be. But they might just not get a chance to show what they can really do because they have to pay, play all these group of five opponents. And I think the BYU is the same way. Now, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think BYU is as good as Cincinnati. But I do think that BYU has a serious shot of maybe climbing further and further till they almost get to the cusp of the playoff. Uh, 
I think um, basically where you're sitting at, where I think Cincinnati has a chance, but I don't think that BYU really has the the gusto, if you would, or the or I don't think I don't think they have the bravado that's needed to make a playoff push. I don't I think, think BYU, I don't think when you think of BYU, I don't think you think football powerhouse, and I think that that might be that might be one of the things that's going against them. But Cincinnati, people have been the rumbling about Cincinnati uh, on all these sports talk shows and all stuff like that has been that people are really considering Cincinnati to be a team that might be considered for the playoff. Now they do need some losses here. And this would be a great week for Cincinnati to play well. I mean, if Notre Dame loses at, at Clemson and Georgia loses at Florida, there might be a huge mix-up in the top 10. And Cincinnati, you know, crazier things have happened this 2020. All right, well, now let me add, well, let me say this. So if you have Notre Dame beat Clemson, you know, of course you're not going to drop Clemson out of the top four. I don't see Clemson dropping out of the top four. Um, you have Notre Dame move up to number three. Maybe number two. I don't see them moving up to number two, though. Um, let's say Georgia wins, so they stay. They stay where they are. Um, it, it could be interesting, um, but, you know, of course they need help up top. Uh, you know, Notre, if Notre Dame loses, that would be a big help. Uh, Florida knocks off Georgia, which is very possible. That would also be a big help. They could move, you know, possibly up to number four this weekend. Um We'll just have to see also what Texas A&M does. A lot of people think that Texas A&M can win out and go 9-1. and one. Um, But, of course, they would miss out on the SEC championship as if Alabama wins out, they would go. Um, I just don't see, you know, BYU making it. I think they're a little too far down at number 9 to make it. They'd need a lot of help from up top. and They'd need some big teams to lose some games. Um, but, you know, just the same thing as Cincinnati. They need some help. But like you said, this is a very good week for it as you have number one versus number four and you have number five versus number eight. Uh, but it could be it could be pretty interesting to, to see how it plays out. Um, one thing that I will say, um, it'll be interesting to see how Texas A&M matches up against South Carolina. You know, South Carolina has had very good um, success running the ball. Um, and, you know, I will say Texas A&M kind of got lucky with against Florida. Uh, Florida kind of lost that game themselves with their turnovers. Um, I kind of do see Texas A&M winning out. They got an easy schedule, I think, all the way home. Um, the only th- only hard team that they really play is Auburn, which is their last game. Other than that, um, you know, and you know, if Cincinnati plays their championship and wins it. I don't see why they wouldn't make it unless, you know, the playoff committee thinks there's a good one-loss team that should have made it that, you know, didn't play in their championship or there's a good two-loss team that should make it over them. Um, But like you said, I really do think they should expand the playoffs to eight teams. I think the winner of each conference should be representative. representative. Um, But... We'll have to see. Um, be very interesting. It'd be crazy if Cincinnati made it first group of five. We'd have to see how they match up against you know the power five teams. Uh, but it, it could get very interesting later into you know December and you know late November. Yeah, and the really the thing is is that uh, you almost don't want to put Notre Dame back into the playoff. I, I know this is going to be no. really it's going to be sore on some Notre Dame fans ears but you really don't want to put notre dame back into the playoff i mean i think the committee is looking for any other alternative to put than putting notre dame back into the playoff it's almost like oklahoma to where oklahoma we've been there done that got the t-shirt and the hat type of thing like Mm -hmm. oklahoma it's almost like we're looking for an alternative to one of these teams and the problem with that is also is that there's this there's this stigma around notre dame that they can't win big games and that's going to be tested this week. And if they lose to Clemson, I don't think they have a snowball's chance in hell of no. making the playoff. Uh, even if they even if they come back and they beat them in the ACC championship, I don't think that Notre Dame would even, which I don't think is going to happen with Trevor Lawrence coming back. But even if they win this week, you but, know they you know they you know they say that it's very hard to beat the same team twice. But uh, you know Notre Dame, if they beat Clemson Saturday, they'd see you know DJ. And if they play in the ACC championship, they'd see a totally different quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. So I don't, 
like you said, I don't see them, you know, making it. I don't think they have a chance to make it. Like like you said, I don't think the playoff wants to put them in there either. I think the playoff would put a, you know, one lost Georgia team in there or two lost Georgia team or, you know, maybe they even put Texas A&M in there or Cincinnati. Who knows? But uh, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, Notre, Dame's are, Notre Dame fans are going to hate us. But uh, they just can't win the big games. I couldn't tell you the last time they won a big game. You know, they lost to Florida State in that top five matchup. They had the illegal pick. Uh, they lost to Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl. Lost those matchups to Georgia. Lost to Clemson in the playoff. You know, when does the streak end? You know, they lost to Alabama in the national title. Didn't just lose. They got uh, devastated in the national title. Shouldn't even been in the national title. So, can Notre Dame, I think the question is, can Notre Dame change their narrative and finally win one of those big games? Well, the reason why I bring that up is is that if you put a group of five Cincinnati in and they have to play Clemson or Alabama or Ohio State in the first game and they just get they just get the brakes beat off of them, thus there's a problem with that because that almost hurts the chance of a playoff expansion because the committee will be like, why would we even expand the playoff if teams like Cincinnati are going are gonna to be able to play but they're just going to get the brakes beat off of them and the, and the ratings aren't even going to be that good. So that's, that's, that's why I bring that up is because Notre Dame is basically become the, uh, the, the butt of every uh, playoff joke, basically, because Notre Dame, you know, they basically went to the cultural Bowl playoff to kick a field goal. Uh, everybody always <laughs> makes that joke, but that, that is that is what happened, and then we've we've had some other teams, you know, show up to the college football playoff. I mean, as I said, Oklahoma is a uh, is a repeat offender of getting to the playoff and getting bounced in the first round. But you know, there's got to be. I think there's going to be a change this year. I think you're going to see a team emerge that doesn't usually make the playoff, and Cincinnati might be one of those teams. But as as we said this weekend, we got some big games coming up this weekend. I mean, the Notre Dame Clemson game is going to be massive for the ACC. Uh, you know, matchups like that are always big for these conferences. And uh, Florida and Georgia, I mean, that's basically going to decide the winner of the East and the SEC. For sure. And, you know, I don't think there's any secret that Alabama is the best team in the West and SEC. So uh, I don't think there's I don't think there's a chance. that You don't, you don't think it's Auburn? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I definitely. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no. Uh, but yeah. So. We, we, we've based, we pretty much touched base on college football pretty well here. Now let's move on to the National Football League, a.k.a. the No Fun League, uh, some people like to call it. Not uh, for long league. Yeah, it also stands for not for long. As we had some great games this week, of course, the one that everybody was anticipating, the big matchup, the rivalry, you know, the rivalry about as old as the NFL, Pittsburgh and Baltimore facing off in probably the biggest game we've had all year. You know, David, fourth and three, going into the end zone, in the red zone, quarterback draw for the Ravens. What were they thinking? Um, I think they're sitting there thinking that it's, uh, you know, 2019 Lamar, uh, with the magic and everything. Um, Lamar hasn't looked the same as last year, but you know what they say, new year, new me. Um, I just couldn't believe that, you know, they call it an, basically a QB blast on that play, a draw play basically for the quarterback. Um, I think they maybe should have gone to one of their most reliable targets. You know, Mark Andrews, they're tied in. Uh, I know he did have the drop on that drive, but you know, they kind of hurried up and you know, I just I just couldn't believe the play call. I also think that um, they did beat themselves up Baltimore. They had a good lead going into the half. Uh, they were up 17 to seven on uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, and then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Pittsburgh turns around, you know, scores 14 points in the third quarter, you know, sh- their defense posts a shutout in the third quarter. Um, I think that, you know, also, you know, Lamar throws two picks, which really hurt them. Um, Mark Andrews fumbled. Um, just the turnovers really hurt them. Uh but you know, still as you go, still a good game. Um, I don't, I don't see like there was a really a surprise that the Steelers won. You know, they are the only undefeated team. Um, 
it would have been nice to see the Ravens win as I'm a Patriots fan. Don't like this, you know, Steelers winning and everything, but I uh, still couldn't believe the play call. I think they should have uh, maybe called another timeout and thought it over. Um, it was just very surprising that they went with a QB run on a fourth and three, a very, very, very pivotal fourth down. And that's the play call that they make against a very stout Steelers defense. You know, I guess the philosophy of that play is just get the ball into your best player's hands in that in that scenario. But the problem with that is, is that this Steelers team, they've just been absolutely stellar against plays like that. I mean, Lamar during the game, they they like they ran a couple of these designed runs for to pretty much no avail in a lot of these situations. Uh, the plays that really busted wide open were when they would run play action off of these because basically what the Baltimore Ravens love to do, as if anybody's watched the Baltimore Ravens would know, is they just come out in these heavy full house sets and then they just run the ball down your throat all game, all game. They make you tired of it. And then all of a sudden, on a third down or something, they'll break out one of their play actions or a gadget play or something like that, and they'll gash you for a big game. Now, the thing that surprised me about the game this weekend was how poorly Baltimore's defense played in the passing game. Now, Baltimore, they do usually give up some yards on the ground. I won't lie, that was kind of a concern for me coming into the game against Pittsburgh because Baltimore has been a little bit suspect uh, in in the running game on defense, but some some of their corners just did not play well. I don't think Marlon Humphrey played his best game. I think that Chase Claypool basically had his way with Marlon Humphrey this game. Uh, they even got Ray Ray McLeod uh, going with a little bit of some of these some of these sweeps and gadget plays. And I think the Steelers they just were more focused. They were more prepared. Yeah, as you said, they got down early, but Ben Roethlisberger, you know, just another classic Ben Roethlisberger game pulls out on the end. With a little bit of a little bit of heroics, breaking some sacks, you know, Big Ben, he's hard to bring down, but you know, just in the end, the the Pittsburgh was the better football team this weekend, and it shows because they're undefeated, the only undefeated team left, and uh, as they said, uh, they beat the Tennessee Titans the week before, and an an interesting t- statistic that I learned was that when two five and zero teams match up from the same conference, the winner of that game has always made the Super Bowl. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, in fact, did beat the Tennessee Titans when they were both 5-0. and So if you're a Steelers fan, that is absolutely great news because if history is doomed to repeat itself, then the Pittsburgh Steelers will be representing the AFC in the Super Bowl this year. Now, another game I do want to talk about as I was there with you when we were watching it, uh, the Buffalo Bills did, in fact, take on the New England Patriots this weekend. And Cam Newton had a costly turnover in the red zone to pretty much seal the deal for the Buffalo Bills. Now, David, did you think that the Patriots lost the game or that the Buffalo Bills won the game? Uh, I definitely think that the Patriots lost the game. Um, I don't. I didn't see nothing wrong with the play call. Uh, Cam Newton has been running the ball great when they call those plays, you know. Um, it was just a little bit of unfortunate. Uh, needs to, you know, secure the ball a little bit better than he did on that play. Um, he just had it out, had the chicken wing out, and uh, they just came and punched it out on him. Um, I definitely think that the Patriots lost that game. They kind of beat themselves up in that game. You know, they were only down by three, moving the ball great against Buffalo's defense and everything. And then you know that happens. Um, I you know, like I said, no problem with the play call, but it was just like. Wow, you know, yeah, just couldn't believe that, and that was the only only turnover in that game. But you know, one thing can change the whole 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 game, you know, and that changed the whole game for the Patriots because it was that right at the end, right when they were moving the ball and everything. But um, it was a good win for Buffalo, um, good rivalry win for Buffalo. But uh, really think the Patriots, you know, lost that for themselves. Yeah, uh, I would have to say I almost I pretty much agree with you on this. Uh, Bill Belichick is going to have to answer some questions. I mean, he's basically already had to answer some. Uh, pretty much, basically, what is the plan now that there's no Tom Brady? There, the goat no longer wears that blue, that red, white, and blue, basically. And 
uh, Belichick has really come under fire from some of his outlets saying that he really doesn't doesn't have a plan. He should have kept Brady and all stuff like that. But what a lot of these people don't understand is that Bill Belichick has been doing this for a lot longer than some of these people have even had their jobs. And then I'm sure that Bill Belichick will indeed have a plan. Now, David, there's been some trade rumors that he's been willing to trade Stephon Gilmore, which I do not agree with. I have seen that. I have seen that they are willing to trade Stephon Gilmore. Um, but of course, you know, trade deadlines over and everything. But I did see that. I was hoping that they weren't going to trade him. I think they're seeking like a first round pick, maybe a second and a third or something. Um, I just don't see why you trade away your, you know, top defensive player, you know, the defensive player of the year, you know, the top corner last year that just. I didn't understand that. Um, they said that it was due to uh, cap issues, needing more cap space so they can sign more players and everything. Um, but that, that just blew my mind that they would trade Stephon and Gilmore away. I just couldn't believe that. Yeah, but you gotta you gotta think you can find cap somewhere else. I mean, the defensive player of the year. I mean, the Rams. I mean, the Rams don't don't tra- aren't aren't saying, oh, we'll trade away Aaron Donald. You know what I mean? It's like. Yeah, Bill Belichick. Now, don't get me wrong. Bill Belichick, he ha- he usually is pretty good about these things. He usually gets rid of players at the right time. But do you think this is a more of a warning sign of an incoming rebuild, or do you think that he wants to do the classic sell off and then reload that the Patriots usually do in between seasons? Um. Yes and no. I just uh, thinking about it. Um. I think he might be trying to send a message to ownership, to Robert Kraft, you know, the GM and everything, saying like, hey, you know, this, you know, can't pay these, you know, stupid amounts to, you know, certain players. And, you know, if you check like recent history and everything, uh, Jamie Collins uh, and him, he wanted big money. Patriots dumped him, like you said, just picked up another random um, and Chandler Jones, also a lot of people forget that he played for the Patriots. He was asking for big money. So what'd they do? They dumped him as well. Um, I haven't heard anything that Stefan Gilmore is asking for big money. I'm not sure exactly what his contract is, um, but I'm guessing he's the highest paid defensive player, maybe alongside Dante Hightower. Um, I just, you know, I, I, I didn't know that the Patriots had a problem with cap. I didn't know that they didn't have a lot of cap space. I'm trying to figure out, you know, where all their money went to. I know they they paid Tooney, which they should have. Tooney's, you know, one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. Um, but I'm trying to figure out where they have all this, you know, cap issues. Um, I think that uh, they need to sit down and figure out. Maybe he does, you know, dump Stephon Gilmore and he, you know, you know, rebuilds and reloads, like he said. But uh, I wouldn't personally. Then again, I'm not a GM or a head coach in the NFL. Um, I just, you know, you know, like you said, you know, they the Rams aren't looking to trade away Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. You know, it just it would just be mind boggling if if they if they let him go. But you know, if they've done that before, they let Ty Law go, who was a very good corner. So it wouldn't be surprisingly it wouldn't be surprising if they let him go either it'd just be you know typical patriots as people say yeah but the the tie law move made sense because it was he was in the twilight of his career now let's not mince words about this stefan gilmore is the best corner in the nfl currently but the thing is is that stefan gilmore like he isn't he isn't seeking money the patriots did extend him so it wasn't that Bill Belichick didn't want him to pay him the money because Stephon Gilmore was a rare occurrence of the Patriots actually extending a player for the money that he was worth. Usually Belichick drops these players when they want the payday, but now he's he was almost looking to drop him after the payday, which is not very Belichickian, if you would. Uh, now, I think that Belichick, Belichick knows that it's going to be a rebuild. He's going to have to brace some of these Patriots fans for a rebuild. As you know, uh, as a Patriots fan yourself, David, uh, over the past 20 years, you pretty much have been saying rebuild, never heard of her, basically. You know, haven't really had a haven't really had a need for one. <laughs> so, uh, you know, with, but yeah, I think it's come time. I think that Cam is showing a bit of his inconsistency here lately. 
Uh, I think Patriots fans are pretty done with the season. I think they basically have forgot. Uh, they've basically, you know, been on to Cincinnati since y'all lost to uh, Denver. And uh, I think that Belichick, you know, Belichick had the comments about the reason why we don't have the personnel is because we sold out to win three Super Bowls in five years and all those comments like that. And I think that the, these are things that you say before you're bracing for a rebuild. And I think the Patriots are probably going to clean house at the end of this year and just go full rebuild and try to bolster some of that capital, free up some cap space and really sign some younger players that Bill Belichick can work with. Uh, a lot of people say that Bill Belichick doesn't scheme with players. He schemes with systems. And that's really, you know, basically how the Patriots have done it, as you said. You know, they usually they, they take randoms or other people's trash and create them into treasures. Uh, and a lot of t- and, and it just goes to show you how good Belichick system has been because a lot of these players, they go to other teams and they don't have as much success. For example, the Lions, the Lions, you know, basically uh, try to clone the Patriots, the Titans, the Titans really are the only team that have that have had really any success doing it. But that's also because uh, Vrabel, you know, is, is a hell of a defensive mind, a hell of a coach. You know, he understands Belichick's system. He understands how all of the cogs work, how they're supposed to fit into the machine. But basically the takeaway you take from this is that the Patriots, it's going to get worse before it's get, it gets better in New England. And oh, for sure. Yeah, and Belichick is basically just bracing the fans for a rebuild that he knows come he knows is coming. Um something I want to oh do you have anything to say about the topic before we move on? I will say uh you know that I think the rebuild's coming too. Um the thing is though is uh is the Patriots going to keep Bill Belichick around long enough or are they going to move on from him? I I don't think I it would have to take something catastrophic to move on from Bill Belichick. I mean I don't think I, – I'm, I'm going to use an interesting term. I don't think Robert Kraft has the chutzpah to move on from Bill Belichick. I'm not going to lie to you. You want to see some unrest? You want to see some backlash like when they got rid of Brady? Get rid of Belichick too and see see if there's not rioting in the streets of Boston <laughs> when, when, you get rid of, when you get rid of Belichick. Uh, a lot of people are of the opinion that Belichick is the mastermind behind the Patriots dynasty and – so far in 2020, it's been a crazy year. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Tom Brady so far has won the sweepstakes of who is going to be more successful this year, uh, Belichick or Brady. But before the season, a lot of people did assume that Brady. Well, it's a Brady objectively went to a better situation. I mean, it, it, it's no secret that the that the Patriots basically have no offensive weapons. I mean, they were even they were even missing Edelman last week, so. It wasn't a surprise that they lost to a decent Buffalo Bills team, but that's almost a game that you almost expect the Patriots to win despite all those factors, and it was just surprising that Bill Belichick had some of those things to say about the game that he did. Uh, Another great topic to move on to is that we had a couple of interesting mix-ups in the MVP race. Uh, Patrick Mahomes had a great week, tossed himself five touchdowns, uh, currently just going to hit on the MVP race real quick. Is Russ still your MVP or did Mahomes gain some ground with you? Um, I mean, Russ has been playing the most consistent out of, you know, him and if you're comparing him and Mahomes, uh, Russ has played great. I think all year only maybe a little hiccup against Arizona. Um, but he's played great other than that, you know, had another great week against the 49ers. I know the 49ers are pretty beat up on defense. Um, you know, I, Patrick Mahomes is a great quarterback and everything, but it was against the Jets, and come on, it's the Jets, you know. They're a laughing stock of the NFL. Um, but, you know, it does heat up the MVP race. You know, the ball, the ball I think, is in – I think it's in Russell Wilson's hands, and uh, if he keeps on playing how he plays, I don't see why he wouldn't win it. But I know Patrick Mahomes really wants it, as you know, he did win Super Bowl MVP. And uh, some people thought that maybe he should have won MVP last year, which I definitely don't think he should have. I think, you know, it definitely should have gone to Lamar. But uh, I think things could heat up in the, you know, the second half of the season as, you know, maybe Andy Reid dials more up for Patrick Mahomes, you know, make his stats look a little better. But uh, 
I still think that Russell Wilson's going to hang on to it. He's been very consistent all year. All right, yeah. I just wanted to, you know, hit on that a little bit because a lot of people have been saying that Mahomes, oh, Mahomes is back at it again, tossing those touchdowns. But I would have to agree with you that Russell Wilson, I don't, I think it's, I don't even think it's close. I think he's the unanimous MVP so far. I think Russ has been absolutely outstanding so far this year. Uh, you know, he does have the weapons, don't get me wrong, but so does Patrick Mahomes. And it's still hard to play quarterback in the NFL, don't get me wrong. And sometimes we take how great Russell Wilson is for granted. And I think that people are really starting to see how good he really is this year. Uh, something that a lot of people have been seeing the entire time. But I think we've pretty much woken up to the fact that Russell Wilson is probably one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I don't even think that's a that's a hot take anymore. Uh, I do believe that Russell Wilson probably is a top 10 quarterback all time. Uh, that might Now, that might be a hot take, but I would probably put Russ in my top 10. Uh, if he if he keeps playing because people forget that Russ Russ isn't an old man now Russ has got some years on him and all the things he's already accomplished if he gets an MVP under his belt that would go a long way for his legacy uh, they're gonna compete the Seahawks are good if they get if they get Jamal Adams back you know that would be a really big thing for them on defense uh, if they sure up some secondary maybe if they acquire some pass rush somehow you know they pick some guy off the street that can rush the passer that's basically been their big problem for the seahawks is rushing the passer that's basically the only scare that you have if you're a seahawks fan but yeah basically the nfl uh not really a lot of mix-ups uh i just want to hit on real quick uh there's not really much to talk about this is a garbage division we almost knew it was going to be garbage (laughs) the nfc east or the nfc least as i've started to call it um it's it's a dumpster fire I mean, I don't think I, – that's the only way to describe it. It's a dumpster fire. It's probably the worst division in NFL history almost. I'd have to look it up. But it's got there, – there's a serious – there's a serious, like, path to the winner of this division only having six wins, and that might be something that people need to come to terms with as the the football team – is second in the division at two and five, and the Philadelphia Eagles are currently sitting on top of three and four. Uh, do you think that the Dallas Cowboys have any shot of reclaiming the top spot in the division, or do you think the Eagles pretty much ran away with it with their win last week? Um, I don't see Dallas making a run at it. Uh, you know, Dak Prescott, and you know, out for the year. Hope for a speedy recovery for him. Um. Also, you know, I mean, it was a cheap shot, but Andy Dalton's out. Um, he's not going to be playing this week either. Um, so I don't see Dallas really making a run at it, at back at it. Um, I've read some things that people think that uh, Jerry Jones uh, needs to butt out and just, you know, let the professionals do what they do. Um, I don't think it's really totally out of reach for Washington. I think Washington still could catch Philadelphia. Um, you know, Washington's got the Giants this coming up week. Um, that'll be a good game. Well, you know, not like a good game, but it'll be like a good game for them to win. Um, to you know, put some pressure on to the Eagles. Uh, the Eagles, I do still see them winning their division. You know, it's a doo doo division. But uh, I think the only team that has a chance is Washington, and I think it could come down to the last week, um, as Philadelphia and Washington will match up for on the last week. I think it could come down like it did last year with the Eagles and the Cowboys. Yeah, that is uh, that would be absolutely wild if the football team wins the division. You know, all the jokes in the off season, all that stuff like that. Uh, there would be a lot of people happy in the DC area if. Uh, actually, I don't know. Honestly, I don't even know if they'd be happy. I won't even lie to you. I, I think they might just be disappointed because they know that. Let's 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 not let's not spread any misinformation here. The winner of the NFC East most definitely is getting bounced in the first round of the playoff. I don't think any of these team teams have a chance of beating the team they're going to match up against in the first round of the playoff the playoffs, but it's really, I think that's really not what it's about. At the end of the day, somebody has got to win the division. Somebody's going to stumble into it. And as you said, I do think that the Eagles are probably going to win by default. Uh, 
Carson Wentz has regressed, basically. I don't think we're ever going to see that MVP Carson Wentz that we saw when they ultimately won the Super Bowl when uh, Nick Foles stepped in after he got injured. Uh, I think Carson Wentz, he's been skittish in the pocket ever since. I don't think he's ever really had a consistent uh, stature in the pocket. I don't think he's comfortable in the pocket. Uh, A lot of times he'll try to get outside and bad things will happen. And he'll put him. He'll put the Eagles into holes, and they'll have to dig their way out of it. Uh, that's what happened uh, a couple a couple of games this year when they played Pittsburgh, when they played Baltimore. Uh, it was just bad offense in the first half, and they had to come all the way back just to lose a heartbreaker in the end in both games. And that's kind of been. And as you said, the Cowboys just too many injuries. Maybe if they had Dak, they would have a shot at it. But they're just. Uh, their defense is just not good. I mean, it's just plain not good. It, it just, it's given up just entirely too many points for anybody to even take it seriously. I mean, it's gone to the point where I don't even think that the Cowboys defensive players even think that they're going to make a stop when they go out on the field. It's, it's just gotten to that point, and it's just a dumpster, dumpster fire of a division, and it's just become more of a comedy. Honestly, more of a comedic tragedy than anything. But uh, I, I just want to move on here to some of these upcoming matchups. Uh, there's going to be a great Thursday night game this week. Green Bay is going to take on San Francisco. If it plays. If it if it plays. That is true. San Francisco had a co- positive COVID test. Now, uh, wh- which which players uh, got tested positive for COVID? Um, it was one player. Uh, let me see if I can pull up his name. Uh it was Kendrick uh, Bourne. Yeah, Kendrick Bourne. Okay. Yeah, yeah Bourne tested yeah, that's, positive. Yeah, the wide receiver for San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think I, – I, I think if they don't have any more positive tests, I think they will play tomorrow. Uh, it's looking like I haven't, I haven't heard anything that, that's going to be moved back or canceled. So it's looking like they will play tomorrow. That's probably uh, the biggest game this upcoming week. Uh, Seattle and Buffalo do face off uh, in the one o'clock time slot mm-hmm. this Sunday on Fox. You also but, have New Orleans and Tampa Bay again at eight twenty. That is true. That is true. Uh, yeah, but th- those are basically the games to watch out for this weekend. Uh, Baltimore and Indianapolis also square off on the one o'clock time slot on CBS. But uh, Indy, they haven't really played anybody too great. Uh, Indianapolis, I'm just not sure about that offense. Don't get me wrong, Indy, Indy's got a very good defense. Uh, they're just going to have to – but I think Baltimore is just in a different class of team currently, and I think Baltimore is probably going to dispose of them pretty easily. Uh, an interesting matchup to keep an eye on as well is Miami at Arizona. Uh, Two is going to have a shot, I think. I don't think uh, – Kyler Murray's going to make quite as many mistakes as Jared Goff made last week when Miami basically dismantled the Rams' offense piece by piece, uh, and in probably the worst game I've ever seen Jared Goff play. Uh, but but uh, yeah, uh, two is going to have a shot to basically, I guess, re- not repeat because I don't think Tua thought he had the greatest game ever. I think he only threw for eighty four yards, but. Uh, he's gonna have a he's gonna have a shot to really prove what he's made of this week. And uh, if you had to rate to his performance on a scale from one to ten last week, what would you rate it? Um, let me go look at what he did last week. Um, didn't throw the ball as much. Um, kind of figured that though. He's a rookie quarterback. Um, they really don't want them throwing the ball. You know, throwing in mistakes. Um, I guess you could say he he was he was all right in passing. Um, didn't do nothing on the ground. Uh, he, he didn't, in my opinion, he didn't have a big impact. Uh, Miami's defense definitely carried them against the Rams. I think this week against the Cardinals, uh, he's going to have to have a bigger impact. I'm going to give him, I'm going to give him a three out of 10. Um, you know, he did toss one touchdown, but he really didn't do anything other than that. Um, but he's going to have to have definitely a way bigger impact if they want to beat the Cardinals. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably give him a 5 out of 10. I thought it was pretty pedestrian. I won't lie. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, a lot of people could have done what he did. He basically was just there to hand the ball off and look pretty. Uh, is basically what I thought. 
And uh, yeah, he's just going to have a bigger game against Arizona this week. They will, Arizona will score points, something that the Rams uh, had a little bit of trouble doing last week. Uh, and he's going to have to, he's going to have to throw the ball a pretty decent bit. So that'll be another interesting matchup to look at this week. And uh, yeah, basically that, that'll really just wrap up the NFL. There's, there's a couple of key matchups this week. I mean, if you're, if you're a, I mean, if you're an NFC East fan, the Giants and the football team face off this week. Uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. Let's see, you know, if it's not an absolute dumpster fire to watch on television like it usually is when those two teams match up. But, uh, you know, the, the NFL, it's been pretty entertaining this year. Uh, another absolute just beauty of a game coming up is Houston and Jacksonville. Uh, that's what you like to call a good old-fashioned fantasy football game where you don't watch it to see who wins. You just watch it because you got teams playing and you got players playing in fantasy. Um, and that's just one of those games where you just watch it, basically just see the individual players because you know neither of the teams are really going to make any headway in their division. Now, uh, before we wrap this thing up, because uh, we're at 55 minutes, I was just going to ask you, uh, there was a little bit of rumbling about some NBA trade rumors uh, rumors that Giannis was going to go to the Heat. Now, if Giannis does, in fact, go to the Heat, I believe it was uh, rumored that Tyler, Tyler Harrow and some picks were also involved in this trade. Do you think that it makes the Heat just a shoe-in to repeat as the East the East Eastern Conference representative for the NBA Finals? Or do you think that Boston might have a chance this year? Um... You know, I think, you know, the Heat are a very good team, of course. Um, made it all the way to the NBA Finals. Anyone should, you know, no no trash team makes it to the NBA Finals. Um, if you trade, I don't know if you trade Giannis and then Tyler Hero. I mean, Tyler Hero is a rookie. Um, he had a great year, you know. Got to give him, you know, got to give him some, you know, a little slack that, you know, he... Uh, you know, he was a rookie playing in the NBA Finals, might not have played the best in certain games. Um, I don't know if you put Miami as a shoe-in. It just depends on how they play throughout the year. Um, Boston's another very good team, but as we've seen, you know, they've kind of disappointed when they've gotten into the playoffs. You know, they have, they have the deepest roster in basketball. Um, but as clear as that's many you have seen, you know, that doesn't really matter. Um, could be different, though, this year. Um but putting Giannis and with Giannis and Jimmy Butler, you know, both your forwards, I think Miami has a very good chance. Uh, I don't know if you put them top of the East, but I think they're, you know, maybe number one, number two, battling with the Celtics for it. Yeah, that's really the that's that's really the thing about it is is that also, you know, Jimmy Butler he's had some issues with some guys. Uh, Jimmy Butler's really. He's basically a competitor, basically, when it comes down to it. Jimmy Butler wants to win. That's what he's there for. He's all business. Uh, basically, uh, that's pretty much why it didn't work out with the Sixers. He didn't think that Simmons and Embiid wanted it bad enough. And from this year, honestly, you could probably make an argument that they don't want it that, that bad. And I think it's more about the personal accolades for them. But Butler is probably one of the best decisions the heat has ever made bringing him in because I think he assimilates into the culture that the heat crafted when LeBron and D Wade and Chris Bosch were there. And I think he's probably basically just continuing that culture uh, for, for that organization. And uh, I think that Giannis would be an interesting pickup for them. Uh, but it's really going to, it's, it's really going to be whether or not Jimmy Butler and Giannis uh, enjoy playing with each other because if they don't, then Jimmy Butler may or may not have uh, some issues like he did in Philadelphia. Um, so, so another thing about the NBA to touch base on a little bit here is that you are, as we know, a Lakers fan, and the Lakers did in fact win the championship. And just a little bit, a little interesting you know fun topic here to talk about is do you see the lakers repeating even with the splash brothers returning in the western conference and i just need where we need to get up out of here so i was just a little bit of a, a short answer david do you do you see the repeat happening even with the splash brothers returning 
Um, LeBron and Anthony Davis are great together. Um, I think the Lakers, though, do need more three-point shooters if they want to repeat. They need more offensive production out of more people than just LeBron and Anthony Davis. All right. Yeah, well, we got to get up out of here. It's been fun. It's been a fun one. Uh, you can find the Coaches Don't Play podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, wherever you listen to your podcast. This has been the Coaches Don't Play podcast. I've been Blake Zettler and David Cherub. Everybody have a good evening. See ya.